Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Light Zone Data Show. Today, we're going to talk about crimes against data with none other than Meryl Albert, enterprise data leader. Now, she's a lifelong data person with a combination of industry and consulting experience. She knows both the theory and how to apply it. She lives really data problems and knows how to solve them. She's definitely the person that any company needs to better manage their data to drive value from it. She's also the defender of data and she prevents crimes against data. I love it. Welcome, Marilyn. <laughs> Hi, how are you? We're very happy to have you. And as I said before, I have very, very many questions. But first one is fairly simple. How did you come up with this idea of crimes against data? I'm sure we all see them around us, but right. the way that it sounds, it's very catchy. And um, I think the, the person who listens to it or hears it for the first time, they really know um, or they can think of some crimes against data. But how did you come up with this acronym, with this uh, catchphrase? Well, it's a little bit of a story. It kind of evolved over time. Um, and then when it hit, it it hit really quickly. <laughs> um, but for people who have known me forever, um, they know that I've always had these little stories to tell. And it's generally a story of a company that did me wrong. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I was always telling friends these stories. And I started realizing that it's really about data. They've got my data wrong. And that's what's causing the problem. And for those of us who work in the data industry, we know that there are problems with data that companies don't always recognize are a data problem. They think, oh, I can just buy a tool to fix that or hire the best analyst you know, my money can buy, but they haven't fixed the data. So it truly is a data problem. So I thought, well, why don't I start posting this to LinkedIn? Um, you know, First of all, it benefits the industry. It benefits other um, data people. Um, yeah also helps my friends. Like I'm not telling the same people <laughs> stories all the time. Um, so I started posting it to LinkedIn and I, I started calling it something different. Um, and then one day I had um, gone into this store, um, witnessed something happening that was going to mess up their data. And then a few weeks later, I'm back in the same store. I witnessed something again and when I was explaining it, I said, oh, I went, you know, just trying to, you know, off the cuff, being funny. I said, oh, I went back to the scene of the data crime. And then it's like, oh, yeah, this sounds good. And from there I thought, oh, this is all about crimes against data. Um, and obviously being a data person, I had to check, is that hashtag already being used? Because you can't have it mean two different things. That would be a data crime in it of itself. Um, so yeah, I, since then I've been posting these crimes against data and I just see them all the time now. Yeah. They're just everywhere. And whether yeah. it's something that's happening to me or something I hear on the news, um, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, Solhi here on LinkedIn is mentioning that he really loves the spin that he have on it, you know, CSI type data. And I do have yeah, a question for really whoever's is. whoever's listening. And hi, Scott Taylor, the data whisperer. I'm sure you you have quite of uh, quite a lot of things to whisper about when it comes to bad data quality. <laughs> but I, I'm wondering, you know, where have people been impacted by bad data quality? Have you noticed that impact? 
uh, that bad data quality had on your personal life, on your you know work life. Let us know in the comments if you can think of any stories. And Meryl, do you have a recent story that you've been maybe impacted by by bad data? Well, one of the things that I consistently see is people send me emails and think that they have to put a greeting in it. You know, they can't just start off with the point of the email. It has to be a greeting. Mm -hmm. Well, what if they think they know my name? They don't know my name. So probably the best one is I had someone greet me as hi, nun. N -O -N -E. Oh, I got that recently too. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I've had dear first name with the <laughs> S and the N capitalized. Um, I've had dear F name with pipe symbols on each side. Um, I've had dear valid user. And the common theme is that they all come from companies trying to sell me data management software. Wow. That's funny. That's ironic. So it's not some, you know, company like some retailer out there. I mean, this is coming from people who should know better. That's so ironic, isn't it? Yeah. So they're trying to sell me data management software and they're not doing good data management themselves. Absolutely. Do you, do you ever follow up with them? So it depends. There are some companies I follow up with and some I don't. Um, I think if I don't follow up with them, it's because I just don't care about them <laughs> and you don't want to get on that list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but one thing that happened to me, I, I did follow up with them. It was um, a global hotel chain. And I had moved. I had, um, you know, it was great, you know, that I can go online to my profile, just update my address. I don't have to be on the phone with someone, you know, yelling, no, I said B as in boy, not D as in dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can just go in. I can control it. I know my address. I know I'm typing it incorrectly. But for whatever reason, I decided the next day to go into my profile and check it again. And I don't know why I did that. I mean, maybe because I know that a lot of companies have address standardization software and they you know, run that overnight. Maybe that's why I did it. Um, so I go in the next day and my address is wrong. Uh, they've, it seems to have been truncated to four characters. And there's a lot okay. more to my address. So I thought, okay, I'm, I know I did it right, but okay, fine, I'll blame myself. And I typed in my address again. Next day, I check back to four characters. Hmm. So then I tried on Friday, thinking maybe they run a different process on the weekend. Check mm -hmm. on Monday, four characters. So what am I to do now, right? It's like, okay, now I'm engaged with customer service. Yeah. And I'm trying to explain a data issue to customer service. So initially it did not start out well <laughs> um, because they're just trying to get through this call as fast as possible. They probably got metrics. Anytime customer service gets me on the phone, your metrics are going to get blown. I, I'm not calling with a simple problem. So they just want to type in my address and I say, okay, you just masked the problem. And, uh, you know, I kept trying another day. Someone would say, oh, well, I'll put it in a, a different spot. 
Um, so one thing I have learned is a lot of times customer service does have a separate database. I call it the super mm. secret customer service database. So mm -hmm. your data can be accurate there, but it hasn't been uploaded anywhere else. So it's right. still wrong anytime you're going to get something from that company. I don't really know what the reason would be behind that, but whatever. <laughs> so it, it really took a long time um, working with actually a number of supervisors before I found someone who truly cared and was actually really fascinated that this was happening. You know, she had never heard of this before. And through her, we got it fixed. I don't really know how it got fixed. I, I joke that there's a line of code in there saying that if Merrill Albert calls in, do not change <laughs> this address. So it, what's going to be interesting is the next time I move, if I'm actually going to be able to update my address or if this one line of code is going to prevail. So that, that will be interesting to see. Um, well, but that's, that's probably the worst they've actually massacred my address. And I don't I know what the thinking was behind that truncate to four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see that applying to a credit card number, right? And displaying the first four last, um, you know, digits. last two or something digits. But yeah, bizarre. But right, so I do who comes encourage... up with that rule? Who approves yeah. it? What sort of testing did it go through? You know, apparently none. Um, I, I just don't know. Now, exactly. I will say that my address I don't consider it really long, but it's probably longer, a little longer than average. So mm -hmm. they maybe did have to do some abbreviations or something. They shouldn't have had to. The, the field should have been long enough to handle it. But yeah. if they did have to abbreviate a word or two, they could have done that. But they put in the rule. It's yeah, it sounds like it was an algorithm that, that was a wrong ETL script that was messing yeah. things up. Something went wrong there. I do want to encourage people to check out your crimes against data hashtag because there's a lot of great stories there to follow. And like you said, especially I think for data management companies, companies that are, are have to deal with services and soft, software that handle this type of data. I think it's great learnings from for them to check out your, your stories. And we do have a comment here from Karima. She's mentioning that all those are really very fun to read, I agree, but actually crazy and scary. Yeah. And, you know, that we will always have that. Always put a smile on my face when greeting your crimes about data <laughs> because they are so true. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, there have been a few things in the news, like crazy yeah. things. Like there was a woman not too long ago. She didn't have a ton of money in her bank account. She was just trying to withdraw $20. And her bank balance says that she's got... I think it was a billion dollars. Wow. And obviously she knows she doesn't have a billion dollars. And, you know, if she tried to withdraw something like that, um, someone would eventually come after her. Um, but then she now has to start talking to the company to get it fixed. Um, and that's, you know, that's a hassle. make sure. your way through customer service. Good, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. And so many times they try and put the onus on you. And, you know, you're right. having to spend your time to figure things out and, and uh, spend time with customer service to get that issue fixed, even though it's technically their problem, right? It's not right. your data quality issue. Absolutely. Yeah, there was something that happened to me recently. I, I haven't posted this one yet because I, I don't necessarily consider it completely resolved yet. Um, but it, it was probably just a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to record something on my DVR. 
And it said I couldn't do it because there was an overlap with another program. And I'm thinking, there's no overlap. And I checked and I double checked. And then I realized that what the problem was, was that they had one program going from eight to 901, the next program going from nine to 10, but it was on Mm. the same station. So a one minute overlap, which was technically impossible. Right. And when I contacted them, you know, of course they tried to just blame it on, well, you know, we just display what the broadcaster sends us. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. So there's no data checks going on. Um, (laughs) And then they tried to tell me, okay, well, you should contact the broadcaster. Well, and yeah, maybe I could, but you're the one who's displaying it to the customer. So you should have some responsibility here. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then we got to the point where they said, well, we'll fix it and then we'll ask you to test it. So, you know, if you fix it tomorrow, how am I going to look that it fixed uh, tonight's data? (laughs) And why should I be testing your data? I know for a fact that you have a data management team. I know some of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so no, I, I should not be the one testing your data. Absolutely. I, you know, this reminds me of this survey that I had to fill out um, that's sent to companies and you kind of have to fill out your budget and um, your spending for that year. And it had to be like quite accurate. You couldn't approximate it was for like tax purposes. And mm-hmm. they had the ranges. It was like, I don't know. I forgot the ranges, but one like the upper limit was $999,999. And then the next range started $1 million. But what happened if you had a few cents in there as well, then right. it wouldn't be captured by these two two margins. So uh, I was always wondering what would happen there. Uh, right. Just ha- want to take this comment from uh, Michael Gorecki. He's saying that data crimes that I have witnessed have been small, like I generate data governance, data quality controls for their platform, and they want to cut back on the number of data quality controls they want in place. That's not... Why Why would you want to cut back as a company on data quality controls? I wonder. Well, depending who's making the decision, right? It's some people who don't understand the, the value of data, most probably. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, like you can buy uh, data quality software that comes preloaded with uh, data quality rules. The first thing you have to do is you have to validate those rules. Are those the ones that we want? And... You know, a lot of times if the tool comes with it, they're probably generic enough that they would work for you. But they're probably a really small fraction of the problems that that you could have. Right, right. And, and some people just don't know what problems they have. They're just blindly believing that the data is right. And mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what sort of impact is that going to have? And you have to think from an operational perspective as well as an analytical perspective. So analytics, I, I've definitely heard some people say, well, it's statistically insignificant. And maybe it is, but have you actually proven that? Right. Um, so, so that's one thing to think about. But from an operational perspective, what does it mean? Like if you have a bad address for someone, you're trying to deliver Uh, Maybe it's for a company. You're trying to deliver uh, a truckload of perishable goods and your address is bad. Mm -hmm. All of that produce gets 
you know, just thrown out because you don't know where to drop it off. Mm -hmm. Or you've got a recall on some medication, you don't have good addresses and bigger issue. Now you're potentially impacting people's lives. You know, I've heard this uh, this great story about this telecom company. They were trying to cut back on their costs, and they were trying to um, sort of cut out the um, some of the deals that they've made. I don't like ten years ago that people were kind of grandfathered in, and they were only paying maybe like twenty bucks a month for their phone plan plus internet. It was like this amazing great deal, and you know they had the right to do so, and they did. They they cut that you know bottom part to cut some of the cost. What happened though, they weren't thinking of the consequences, meaning that uh, one of the, the, the individuals that you know, was only paying $20 a month and it was now cut off, that person was actually referring like more than 20, 30 other customers that were paying full price because they were just so satisfied with the service that they were getting, you know, the amazing price, obviously. Right. So they were just recommending it to everybody. And after that decision was made to cut them off, well, they went back to their families like, listen, this is what they did to me. You got to drop them off, switch to another company. And they did. So just by saving $20 a month from this one individual, actually they lost so much more than that because they lost all the other customers that were networked right. uh, to this one individual. So back to your point is just one one customer can have an extreme effect if, you're, if your data quality is incorrect or if you're not trading them properly. Right. Yeah, I know with my insurance company, uh, the last time I moved, I called them, update my address, update, you know, my insurance needs. And they, you know, had to, you know, send me all these policies in the mail and quickly realized that, number one, their address field wasn't long enough. <laughs> so they had to abbreviate it but they abbreviated it differently in each policy because mm. my name and address was a tie was tied to the policy they didn't have me as an individual customer mm -hmm. so it, it took a while to work that out and I, I had to work with someone and she said okay i'm going to write down how i'm abbreviating it and now i'm going to go into this policy and then that policy and that one wow. but that happens all the time yeah and or you know, here's a, you know, a bank just doesn't know um, all the business that they're doing with a customer. You know, they don't know how much money is in the bank, if they've got um, investments as well, um, you know, if they haven't mastered um, that customer. Right. Um, so right. that's always a problem. And it's interesting because most of the users, they don't have these um, this knowledge about data and what, what happens in the back end. So right. most of us just trust blindly, especially banks and insurance companies and don't understand why things go wrong when they do. Right. And we also don't know what, what to do about it or how, to, how we can make things better in, in case we, we have these kinds of problems. I wanted to, um, uh, to ask you, Meryl, what is the most frequently encountered crime against data? Or is there any category? You know, I feel I can go to any company and find problems with their names and addresses. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, something <laughs> that simple just goes wrong all the time. Mm -hmm. And it really shouldn't. Um, so one company 
that had, well, they actually have multiple companies within them and they, I mean, they always send catalogs. And what I was noticing was they're always reversing my first and last name. And I've got a profile with them and I always do my due diligence. I go into my profile. Nope, my name is still correct. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll, I'll call them and I guess I'm talking to customer service and in the customer service database, it's accurate. And a lot of times they try to blame it on their vendor who's sending out catalogs. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So your, your first idea is to just blame it on someone else. Mm-hmm. But, but even if it's true and, and they, they are the ones at fault, why would you think, okay, let's just reverse the first and last name. Like why, why do they think that's a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know. <laughs> you um, know and salutation I, is another thing that goes wrong a lot oh, yes. as well. Um, so I've gotten like pretty much every salutation out there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, I'll go into my profile. Okay. Is my salutation correct? And it's either correct or there's no place for me to put a salutation. So mm-hmm. if I can't enter my salutation, why would the company decide it's a good idea to guess to at guess it? it? And I can understand them thinking we should try to be respectful to our customers or our prospects because I, I think more it's, more often it's the prospect. But if you're going to start off your relationship by guessing at data and, and I think sometimes now people are trying to call it AI, Mm -hmm. but still, I mean, if, you know, if you're still guessing Mm -hmm. and you're getting it wrong, (laughs) how's that going to end well for you? Absolutely. I just just don't think it is. You know, and I've noticed a disconnect when you're talking that uh, within the forum, you don't have a place to, enter your salutation and that absolutely right. And then the same company, they want to use a salutation, their mail outs in their communication. Right. And I feel there's a disjoint between whoever is in charge of creating these forms or collecting this data and then the marketing team or the communication yeah. team. Uh, on the one hand, one wants that form to be very short so that you're not taken off by it and you're just filling it as quickly as possible so you don't exit the form before you submit it. Mm-hmm. But then they still want the data. So right. Yeah. Uh, Susan yeah, Walsh here exactly has mentioned right. that and, you, you, and, we are talking her language. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I really like working in data governance. I think data governance, you kind of pull it all together. You get involvement from the right people. So in that case, you would be able to have people who are saying, well, we really want to put the salutation in the communications to our customers and prospects. So we should probably collect that. We probably shouldn't guess at it. <laughs> you know, I agree. If you don't know what it is. Fine. You know, I I'm okay if they address me as hello, Meryl. Yep. They don't have oh, to guess at a salutation. Absolutely. And whenever I get an email with either my wrong name or the um, something wrong in in the actual uh, salutation. Mm-hmm. I, I stop reading that and I really lose trust and right. um, appreciation for the company. And I think that makes a huge difference really in, it does. in the outcome yeah. for, for their company. And it's, it's a small mistake, you could say, right. but it has a huge impact. And yeah. it's easily right. fixed, right? In my opinion, at least. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. And like, for instance, my name, I know is not the most common name. If you meet me for the first time, I tell you my name, there's a 100% chance you're going to spell it wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I don't mind spelling it. And frankly, you should understand how people spell their names because they're not always what you think they are. Absolutely. And so if you've got the correct spelling in this database, why are you not using it? So I'll get some communications where, um, you know, it's Dear Merrill, it's spelled correctly. And then a few paragraphs down, there is some random spelling. Uh, paragraph later, it's a different spelling. So I've got one letter with three different variations. <laughs> like, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah. could be a bad AI programming there. And as Michael right. Gorecki is mentioning, AI is only as good as the models a human has developed. Exactly, right. yeah. What was the funniest crime against data that you came across? Or the funniest that comes to mind right now? Wow. You know, there was there was one on the news earlier this year. Tax refund checks had gone out and they were signed by Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so now I didn't get one. You know, I just heard about it on the news. They, you know, showed some images. And so when you think like, how does something like that happen? Mm -hmm. And and so I'm thinking, okay, they, they probably thought through, we need to test this process. What if these test checks get into the real world? We'll just put a bogus signature on it. Right. (laughs) But another option would have been, okay, maybe you don't print it on real check stock (laughs) or, you know, you print void over it or something. Um, but they did get out. And so mm-hmm. all of these people who needed their tax refunds are, you know, not getting them accepted by the banks and they had to be rerun. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Susan Walsh is mentioning that she's she had Elvis and Michael Jackson in some of the files that she's been working yeah. with. So probably some fake uh, customer accounts there. Well, right. that's a sign because Susan likes singing and lip syncing. So right. I think there, there's <laughs> something makes sense there, kind of. Maybe they, they put them in there just for Susan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that, a- that is a problem because a lot of times people do create test data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do like creating test data so that you can check specific scenarios that you might not see in uh, the real database that you have right now. So not a bad idea to have some test data, but you have to make sure that that test data doesn't get merged into your production data. Um, Absolutely. You know, that's how they're getting things like Mickey Mouse is trying to give you a tax (laughs) refund. Absolutely. Uh, Martin Jones here is mentioning that in Europe, things like GDPR, well, in, in California with the CCPA, have meant that data governance is more, more than just a nice to have, that you would rather not have uh, if you could just get away with it. So also there's a plethora of risks, as you know, including reputation risk to think of if you're not implementing data governance, if you're not addressing data quality issues. Yeah. Absolutely, Martin. Yeah. Absolutely. And Ravid has a quick question. Um, What are some of the best practices to avoid crimes against data? And I know this could be a lengthy conversation just on this question (laughs) alone. Do you have some sort of go-to advice? 
Well, I really think having a good data management framework is mm -hmm. essential. And, you know, I've done a lot of consulting in data management and data governance in particular. And sometimes I'm finding companies that have maybe sent someone to a, a one hour seminar <laughs> or, you know, maybe a, a one week vendor course, you know, which is slightly better. Um, but all they're getting right there is something very targeted. They're not really seeing the big picture. I have, you know, what some people probably think is kind of an unusual background. I went to the University of Waterloo and part of that program, I learned about data management <laughs> and I learned about things independent from tools so I can apply it, whatever tool there is out there. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes if you've just learned one specific thing, it's hard for you to really see how it fits into the whole. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you learn uh, a data, about a data quality tool or a metadata tool, and maybe you really know how to use that tool, but do you understand that there should be some governance around it? Uh, a lot of times those tools will touch on governance a little bit, but not really to the extent that you need. So it's not just about, I'll, I'll buy a metadata tool and it will uh, magically populate my metadata, <laughs> or it's just a place for me to put my metadata, I'll just type in whatever I want. I mean, there's you know a whole discipline that goes around it, and that can be um, you know more difficult, more lengthy for people to pick up on. I think that's um, one of the biggest added values of what you do, Meryl, because it has an educational compo component right. for people from every, from any area of, of expertise. I think just understanding what uh, wrong data can, can lead to is yes. very powerful. So thank you very yeah, much. And I, for I worked doing at that. one client where they had tried to put in data governance, had not been successful. Uh, I was brought in and I looked at what they had done already. And the thing that they had really been struggling with was they had attended a couple seminars and the way they talked, I, I know which seminars they attended, um, but they were trying to implement data governance in such a way that it would be, uh, it, it just wouldn't really disrupt people. You know, they could kind of almost like do it on the side and, mm they didn't know what they were doing. It was really just like a couple hours of seminars and that was it. And it took me a little while to figure out what they were doing. And I finally said, okay, well, what you're implementing is no governance. <laughs> and so, so we talked about that for a while, you know, you're, you're not doing anything. And so we really had to take a disciplined approach to it. And, and I do think of it as education. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I've never wanted to be, you know, a classroom teacher. <laughs> you know, that's great for people who want to do that. But I definitely do teach because I, I do try to bring people along. You can't just give me a problem and, you know, a couple months later I'll say, oh, here's your data governance organization all set up, ready for you to go. You right. have to work with people side by side, help them, um, you know, learn what you're doing, help them understand how it's going to work. Um, and then if you, you know, finish up, you know, a couple months later, they can keep it going. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much, Meryl. As as Ravid was mentioning, great insights by Meryl Albert. Great. I completely agree. I do encourage people to follow you on LinkedIn as you're posting great content. And uh, as Diana mentioned, you're a great person to learn uh, all these data management, data governance solutions from. <laughs> and I think right now everyone who listened has an eye open for crimes against data. So what they're everywhere. Suppose? Yeah. <laughs> They yes. are, unfortunately. They really are everywhere. <laughs> yes, but then now we also, thanks to you, have a lot of awareness. And probably in the work that we do, we're going to try to be more um, thorough. Exactly. Right. Because data to quality is everyone's avoid. responsibility. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you well, so much. I would say so good data is everyone's responsibility because it's more than just quality. That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for being here. And Meryl, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for doing what you do. And everyone, remember to follow Meryl on um, LinkedIn and also the hashtag Crimes Against Humanity. Crimes Against Humanity. Well, well sometimes there's, against there's one in the news that's going to be posted soon. Yeah, it's a little bit Crimes Against Humanity too, unfortunately. It is. Crimes Against Data are Crimes Against Humanity as well. All right. Thank you so weekend, much, everybody. Everyone. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.